Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I am your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 47 with my friend Garrett. Garrett is a lawyer and deals with some immigration law and some divorce cases, and we talk about both of those. And Garrett has a history for passion and politics, and we discuss that as well. And what better time to do that than the day before the election? So enjoy this episode. I hope you guys get a lot out of it. There are some audio issues up until about the 20-minute mark, and I apologize ahead of time for that, but we got that figured out at that point. And uh, please be sure to stay tuned after the episode when we talk to our resident therapist, Jenny Helms, and answer listener question uh, about toxic parenting and how you can overcome that in your own parenting style with your own children. Uh, Really great answer there, and we kind of dive in a little deeper as well. So without further ado, here is my interview with my friend, Garrett. Well, I normally start out with how I know somebody, and I've known you as far back as I can remember. Because yep. I think from kindergarten until the end of high school, not counting junior high, <laughs> we were in school together. Oh, yeah, we were definitely in elementary school. So you're just those people who was always around the whole time. Yeah, which is funny. I mean, given just fun stuff like childhood trauma and stuff, I have uh, I don't have a lot of memories from elementary school. Um I hear things. People are like, I remember the song you sang on the bus. And I was like, I don't. <laughs> but that works out for me. Um, but there's, it's fun because I'm excited to dive into some some preconceived notions I may have from, from like knowing you from a distance for so long. But I, I want to dive in. So you grew up in Michigan. Yeah. Around here. Um, do you have siblings? Yeah, I have two younger sisters. Uh, one... Um, who's about five years younger than me, and the other is about nine years younger. Oh, wow. So quite a gap for both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, what did your parents do when you were born? Uh, well, when I was, a uh, when I was born. Well, yeah, uh, when you were a kid. My dad worked at an auto, uh, I don't know, factory, and my mother, uh, worked as like a receptionist. Uh, when I was born, uh, uh, and then, but through most of my childhood, my dad worked and my mom stayed home with the kids. Okay. My dad works for Ford. Gotcha. What is, do you remember your first sister being bored? Yeah, I do. I remember uh, going to the hospital to see her when she was first born. I remember, you know, we had some, like, little balloons in which she was born at uh, uh, the Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit. It was a long drive. And, yep, I remember yeah, seeing her. Yeah, as a kid. Detroit. That's a super long drive. <laughs> yeah, it was a long ways away yeah. in Detroit. Yeah. So what's it, what's it like in the Garcia household growing up? Like, uh, I mean, you're an only child for five years. Is there attention taken away from you when you're still a kid, or...? Did you have any resentment there with your little sister? Oh, no, no. When I, uh, I think because my friends all had little, you know, had siblings. Yeah. So when I was, you know, kindergarten age, I wanted a little brother or a sister too. And so I was very happy and excited uh, when, uh, when my sister was born. And 
you know, and then I was old enough, it wasn't like, you know, I think there was a big enough gap where we kind of have our separate lives yeah. and you can still be interested, but there, you know, she wouldn't be so close in age that she's always following me around and hanging out with my friends or, or interfering with anything I had going on. Yeah. Um, how is school for you starting out like elementary school and uh, anything eventful? <laughs> anything eventful in school? No, I don't think there was really anything <laughs> eventful in school. Uh, you know, elementary school was fun. Um, I'm thinking, you know, I think going to middle school was a little bit more stressful because we pretty much, uh, you know, almost everybody at Pine Knob, we were all this, you know, we all knew everybody. And then kind of going into a big building with new people was, uh, you know, a little bit more anxiety about that. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really have any issues arise in school. So I, middle school was fine. It's funny you, you mentioned that because that's like a source of uh, anxiety is probably a good word. But <laughs> Everybody went to Sashabaugh from Pine Knob except for like four of us. And we went to Clarkston, me and like Mike O'Brien and like two other kids. And so, yeah, we, I didn't know anybody. And I, I like had a very specific hatred of sixth grade for that reason. But, uh, so it's funny to hear it described from the other side. Uh, so just tying it into my, this is my projecting preconceived notion questions. Uh, I mean, you've, you've always been, as far as I know, like a really good student, uh, grade wise, like top of your class. I mean, am I wrong there? I, I don't think it's inaccurate. I don't know. <laughs> I never describe myself as a good student. I, uh, I mean, I was a good student, but not because they like studied and did my homework. Yeah. It was less, I just go there and whatever I heard just sunk in and I didn't really, uh, that was like from, you know, elementary school up until law school that's pretty much how it was i just had to go and do yeah. fine and that was uh you know. were you just more so like later a... you find out you have to work i guess yeah. <laughs> were you more like a sponge you just absorbed it and you were able to put it all back yeah. out on paper had something i would remember it if people talked about it i would remember yeah and uh you know i mean besides math math is <laughs> never anything that i could understand but yeah I just wonder, is there, is there any, I don't know, where did that, that value come from? Like, was there any stress on like, you better do good in school from home, from your parents? Like, um, was that something that you were, there was an expectation of, was there punishments if you brought home bad grades or anything like that? Uh, no, I think, I think from their point of view, you know, I was the first kid and I think just whatever I did was just whatever I did. Uh, they were never um, never made a big deal about grades or about keeping track of what was going on. Um, I think just was kind of lucky that I kind of floated along and <laughs> hung out with good kids, and we just accidentally did what we were supposed to do. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, my parents weren't really. It's not like they just let you do anything without any supervision. But I. Uh, I don't remember them really getting on my case about homework or school or even really particularly asking too much about report cards or grades or anything. It yeah. was, uh, um, 
it was just expected, uh, but nobody ever got in trouble or anything if there were problems. Um, at what point did you kind of, and unless this was way later, but like, was there a time in school where you're like, I'm going to get into uh, law? Like, cause I, I, when did, when was that decision made? Oh, uh, that decision was probably made the last year of college. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Before to decide what you're going to do. Um, no, I, I think I probably thought I would be, uh, probably a teacher or, you know, go on to graduate school and teach at a college is what I thought when I was in college at least. And then, you know, I certainly, that's not really what I want to be doing. And, um, a friend of mine really encouraged me to go to law school. Uh, she was kind of a mentor. I worked with her at the U Oakland University, and she encouraged me to do that. And also, I had um, uh, a friend had a not. They weren't like the victim. It wasn't. A, we had to go to court. I where nobody was in trouble or yeah. anything. But it's like when you're sitting there and you're seeing what goes on. I thought I could do this, <laughs> and uh, you know. So that last kind of last year of college is kind of when I made that decision. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was something early on, like when you were getting to the end of high school, um, I mean, you mentioned kind of having the right, the right group of friends kind of accidentally did the right thing, um, which is a wonderful way to put things. But what was that like? What was your social life like as a teenager getting in? Because like we didn't hang out or anything, just kind of in the same school. Let's say I had like just a small group of, you know, friends that I hung out with and talked with. Just a handful of people, and they were everybody wasn't all in the same little circle of people. So I would, you know, you know, sometimes see these people and sometimes see those people. Yeah. But I always thought, you know, a handful of people I was very close with, and then I sometimes you would hang out and do, uh, you know, realize go to only a football games a few times, or you know, only go to. Uh, parties once in a while or something but yeah. i guess going into college uh like what what kind of pressure did you put on yourself or did your parents put on you to like go to college in general or was that just like the expectation all along um and then what made you choose ou over something else well um i think it was always kind of an expectation um obviously i was the first oldest kid in my family um, but it was an expectation that we'd all have to go to college somewhere and do something um, but you know my parents didn't go to a university and had that it was like kind of the first one in my family to go to a regular four-year uh, yeah. university like that so I don't think they really knew what you should do and how and when you should be looking at schools and that sort of thing. It was like they saved money and you needed to go to college, but uh, where and how that happened, I don't think they really knew. Um, and so I, I started to make plans about that, I think, later than some of, I know, you know, so other yeah. friends had made plans <laughs> much sooner. Yeah, yeah. And so it was well into senior year that I needed to figure out what to do. I just kind of... I don't know if I would say had uh, lower assessment of my own abilities than uh, than I should have had or whatever. But I'm like, oh, I can't go to U of M. I can't go to Michigan State. I need to, you know, oh, I guess I'll have to go to OU or Wayne State or 
you know, U of D or something. Yeah. And so I everywhere I applied to, I was accepted. And it was just like, well, then I decided to, I thought, oh, I'll commute and then I'll transfer somewhere. And that never happened, you know, <laughs> and then you just start doing that. And then. Well, yeah. yeah. Did you stay at home the whole time you were at OU? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm curious about just jumping forward to, to you getting into law. Um, you went, where'd you go to law school? Wayne State? I went to Ave Maria oh, okay. in Ann Arbor at okay. the time. Has it moved? Yes. Now it's in Florida. Oh, where, uh, <laughs> it, it did not move down the road. <laughs> no, it moved near Naples, Florida. Gotcha. So you got, oh, you, you got in when it was still in Michigan. You could have had a little tropical law degree. <laughs> Yeah, I was the last class that graduated in Ann Arbor. Do you feel like you got the shaft there? <laughs> no, I think uh, the school was better when it was here. So ah, nice. <laughs> they, uh, they wasn't good for that. That's good. Um, what? So you, I'm guessing, then at that point moved out, moved down to Ann Arbor. Yeah, I've got an apartment in Ann Arbor, and I lived there for three years. Yeah. How do you feel about Ann Arbor? Oh, I love yeah. Arbor. It was great to, uh, you know walk around, go wherever you want to go, great restaurants, good people always around. And, and and law school was a small group of people. You know, our graduating class was like 83. Oh, wow. Uh, really got to know everybody. And, you know, there's good things about that and bad things about <laughs> that. But, uh, uh, it was always nice because you could have, you could invite 15, 20 people over just like that any day. Just we, uh, it was a great group of people. And uh, I love living in Ann Arbor. Awesome. Um, what was that like moving out, like being out of your parents' house for the first time? It was, I think the biggest change was kind of being not so much, you know, it's like I didn't go, when I lived at home, it's not like I was sitting at home with my yeah. parents every day, you know? <laughs> so, it, uh, you know, I would, you know, you'd go on road trips with friends or you'd uh, go up to uh, East Lansing, you know, every other weekend and hang out with people and stay there for the weekend and stuff and did that for a long time. So it wasn't like, Oh, I'd never been out (laughs) on my own or anything. Uh, But you know, at that first, those first few weeks, I think it was really uh, quiet and really, you know, you didn't know anyone. And I think that was the difference. Like in your hometown, you always know people Yeah. (laughs) Uh, to just move to Ann Arbor, not knowing anybody, uh, and, uh, I mean, there was only like six people from Michigan at the school. So you didn't, you know, oh, wow. until you got to know people, it was, you know, stay in your apartment and <laughs> yeah. just go for a walk or something yeah. until you met. People. I just imagine that's gotta be funny being at home at like 2021, 20, you have a teenage sister and then mm-hmm. another sister who's going to be a teenager soon. You got your parents. So I imagine there's getting to Ann Arbor was probably like just kind of quiet for the first time in a while. I only remember it kind of as more of a detachment because when I was, you know, in Clarkston, it's like, well, you go have coffee with people. There was always people around that I knew. uh, And so it's like a seldom at home. Uh, Then being there, it was like there was, you know, couldn't just leave and go without any plan, randomly meet up with people, you know, that first month or two. Uh, and then, like, my sister, yeah, when I was in law school, my sister had started at Michigan State. Okay. And um, 
then the other one was uh, probably in high schoolish or middle school or something. I don't remember. Um, but I know she, my youngest sister graduated high school the year I graduated law school. So, were you still able to develop a close relationship with her, even though the nine-year age difference? I think so. I know, you know, not when we were younger, but I mean, now that we're, uh, I would say the last maybe five years, yeah. 10 years or something, I would say we actually became kind of, because there was like a big enough gap between us that you actually got to know the person more as a grown up. Yeah. Rather than being around them as a kid and have them always be like that. Did you go to law school with the intention of getting into immigration law? Oh, no. No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> so what was other than like a friend and mentor kind of pushing you towards that? What was the what was the end game with law school? Was you well, were you still thinking like I'll teach or my friend thought I should go and uh, get a law degree and then go do something else like get some kind of I don't know, maybe public administration and go into some other area or then try to work on a PhD or something and teach and that's what she thought I should do and when I was in law school I kind of had the idea that I would either kind of do estate planning or I would uh work at the prosecutor's office okay. um, and uh, and I had a I worked at the at Wayne County for the for about a year after I graduated and had a contract but the time was wrong and the economy was bad and and uh, that contract wasn't renewed <laughs> and so then I uh, um, and so the work that I do now really just kind of came about I think because my last name is Garcia, and I could speak Spanish, and so yeah. people would track me down for that reason because there's not a lot of Spanish-speaking attorneys, and uh, and so that just happened, and and for a long time I didn't really, you know, I didn't really want that to be what I was doing. It yeah. was just, you know, same with divorces. It's I never said, oh, I'm going to do half my work will be divorces. It just, you know. You have to pay your bills, and that's what kind of issues people have. Well, that's what I'm wondering about as you're as you're talking about it. Is um, did you did you have any like stuff that you I don't I don't know how to phrase this without sounding cheesy, but like have like a fiery passion about like any specific subject that you wanted to like um, go into, or was it like this is a lucrative degree to get? I can do a number of different things with a law degree. So I'm just going to do this. Like, was it more logical or was there any sort of uh, passion behind it? Um, I think, I think I would say neither one of those things. Uh, <laughs> well, fine then. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say, no, I never really had, you know, we just saw with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah. Uh, it's passing. Clearly, she was a person who had the commitment to kind of change the world. She saw some kind of injustice somewhere, and she devoted her life to uh, writing that. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't feel, <laughs> you know, I, uh, um, I, I was, you know, I'm interested in politics and justice and what is right and wrong about the world, uh, but th there was never any kind of particular issue that just stood out to me that needed to be, uh, you know, corrected. Yeah. Um, and so 
It wasn't that some kind of fire in my belly about some legal issue. Yeah. Um, and I was never really concerned, and I'm even now, never really been concerned about, uh, you know, making money. I should be more concerned about it than I am. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think part of what I liked about kind of how things are with my life now is like I'm free to decide my schedule. I'm free to have interests. If I want, if somebody, you know, wants to have lunch or coffee or something, I can make time for it. Yeah. I can read and I can work on other things. And, uh, you know, obviously being a lawyer is a major part of your life and, and kind of probably your identity and the way you're thinking about the world in general. But, uh, it really just gives me the freedom to kind of cultivate other things. But yeah, just to segue kind of away from the, the professional stuff, uh, you mm-hmm. mentioned your, your interests. And I'm wondering now if that, if there wasn't like the, the passion for immigration law, so to speak, <laughs> like where, uh, where, where did your passions lie? Like in, when you were younger and even today, like what, what are your interests that you spend your time doing if you have the time to do it? Oh, well, um, if we go back in the past, I would say I, I always like history. Yeah. And so, you know, I'd like to learn about history, but of maybe local thing. Michigan history is fascinating. And then kind of when I was maybe from 16 to 20 or so, I was taking classes at the uh, seminary at okay. the graduate level. And then... After I came back from law school, I started back because I figured, well, I better just finish a degree since I've done it all that time. <laughs> and then I stopped. Um, so kind of, I would say, a little bit more like academic theology uh, I had an interest in. And then I like to, you know, uh, gardens and plants and things are the other stuff. And, you know, then uh, natural history, I would say. Yeah. So I actually... Uh just side note i took a history of michigan course and it was like one of my favorite college classes of, of all time because it really is yeah if you like go, dive deep in the the history of the state and and the fur trade and like all the different stuff that happened uh across this entire state from the top of the up down is just fascinating oh it is and it's like and it's something we well, I don't know what they taught us in fourth grade. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but Miss, Mrs. Smith was teaching yeah. us about uh, Michigan. I don't know. Um, I don't really remember her teaching us really anything about it. Yeah. But if she listens to this or somebody tracks her down, <laughs> she probably did. I would love uh, to but... track her down, but Smith is a difficult last name <laughs> to figure out. But uh, no, and then you you read how the, you know, the settlement of Detroit and why it was built there. And, and, uh, uh, Gabriel Richard is a fascinating character. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I found out Congress that... and priest, he pastored the Catholic church and the Protestant church Yeah, co-founded the university of Michigan. There's a lot of stuff people could. Yeah. I, uh, I was fascinated by the, the layout of Detroit and I didn't like, I didn't realize how far it stretched back that hub and spoke layout and the <laughs> reasonings behind it and everything. I was like, this is, this is crazy. Also, I hate it going down there. It drives me insane. But, um, yeah. yeah, that's, so that's, that's super interesting. Uh, you mentioned the seminary. 
did how important was religion growing up oh i mean as a small child elementary school age i i would say more or less practically irrelevant i mean it was just kind of in the background yeah. of of things uh, i don't think it was anything we ever seriously uh talked about it was nothing in the forefront of uh growing up when i was a child yeah. um you know, you'd periodically go to church, but not very often. And it was nothing, like I said, nothing in the forefront. Um, we started to go to church more um, when my little sister was time for her first communion. And by that time, I was probably, uh, I was about 14. And that's precisely the age where you don't want to go to church or can talk about any of those things and so i refused to go like okay so did you do like catechism or anything like that when you were a kid kid no okay no we we're just kind of those nominal catholic people who had christmas and easter and didn't really go do anything else uh, but then after when i got to be around 15 or so you know mom's like oh you know your grandma would want you to go blah 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 you will that's the catholic way we will shame you into going to church and, uh, and so the reality is you know, i went and listened and thought about it and uh there's interesting things there's a lot of history and academic or kind of uh intellectual history of all different stuff and so i kind of had it more as a more just kind of an interest rather than being so much about my personal beliefs or something okay. and uh then the parish offered to uh, kind of pay for the the classes and stuff, and so I continued to do that every semester for that whole time. And, um, and I think it's a very important part of my life from that point. Yeah. Uh, but if you would have found me when I was thirteen, I would yeah. I was probably uh, would give you some kind of uh, I'm some kind of atheist, you know, I'm not <laughs> don't believe in any of that, whatever. Yeah, I'm. I was, I was just gonna say, I'm like, I'm not a, I'm not a religious person um, as far as like organized religion goes, but it fascinates the hell out of me. And so you mentioned that from like an academic standpoint, and I wonder if that changed at all. Like, if it became more of a, an aspect of your belief system than more of something that you're interested in, um, academically and historically. At the time, uh, what I kind of perceived was that I wasn't. It wasn't like I was finding out something and changing who I was yeah. or it was really just clarifying and highlighting what we already believed and thought about things in a clear, more clear way. Like it was kind of a discovery of who I was and my kind of family history about uh, how we look at the world rather than, you know, I think some people think they're going to go out and find something new and change. And this was more of a, just kind of a turning inward and a discovery of what was already there yeah. and, and a changing it in a respectful way rather than a, you know, kind of a superficial childish way. Yeah. Um, so you're doing that, you're going to college, you're, you go to law school, um, personal life. Are, are you married? Oh no, no, I'm not married. Um, like I had a, 
uh, well, had numerous girlfriends <laughs> over the whole stretch of times, but uh, no, I, I've had a few long-term relationships. Uh, there's been times I thought I would get married, yeah. uh, and then there are times that uh, that didn't seem like that was, was going to happen. And uh, I've had those relationships too. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Uh, Right now, no, I don't have. Any, uh... right. I only ask because I just uh, from the religious aspect, I wonder if that would end up playing a role in the in the long run. Um, like, do you consider yourself a Catholic to like today? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So I just I wasn't sure uh, where that played a role today. That's all I was. <laughs> that's all, <laughs> that's the only place I was going with that. Um, segueing into more like current issues, and I. I looked at the calendar and the irony of this is this episode will come out the day before election day. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> so, you know, if you have some thoughts, feel free to throw them in there. Um, I, I, uh, I have lots of thoughts about that. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> it's shocking. Yeah. All of it is shocking. Uh, now, one thing I would say, I was talking to a friend the other day, and you're just chit-chatting. Well, the president said this, and this is going on. It's like, so do you know what is ridiculous? As though, like, almost want to laugh out loud ridiculous. We're standing here talking about whether the president will peacefully leave office if he loses an election. In the midst of a global pandemic, where we can't even like go to the store or the movies or whatever. We have to wear masks. There's hundreds of thousands of people dying and whatever. Like this is crazy. <laughs> like uh, we would never have thought this. And the fact that this is even going on, it's totally outside the realm of imagination from just a few years ago. Yeah. It's definitely puts things in perspective. Um, but I, I, I don't know about everybody else. Uh, I mean, I'm an adaptable person and it's almost scary. The level of normalcy like that. Cause now I'm just like, yeah, I got, you know, I got my couple masks in the car and I just like, I have my necessary errands. I try to avoid everything else unless my wife's in a bad mood and wants to go to like home goods. And I promise I'll go with her, which is just a terrible idea. Uh, but no, but that's a, the, even the point, it's like you get used to things. It's like, yeah. this is seems relatively normal. Yeah. You just adjust life a little bit and everything seems more or less. Yeah. Which is scary too, because that puts things in perspective of what else can we slowly accept over time. And yeah. uh, I mean, that ties into some of the stuff that I, I, I don't always like to bring up social media because it sounds cheesy because I'm, you know, 37, but uh, it's the, the stuff that you put out there um, just kind of tying into your like of history and the, in-depth stuff that you are able to relate to current events and some of the postings you put out there, uh, I think are some of my favorite stuff on Facebook. Cause it's more than just like a sentence or two about, I don't know, a cat picture. So it's, it's uh, and like I said, the, the Michigan stuff, like I like history a lot. My wife's a, a graduated history degree. Um, and so there's, uh, her library of books looks similar to yours. Mine is all on audible and I, just, I stick to that. Um, but would you say just kind of go, jumping back to one of my previous questions, but history being one of like a passion of yours, um, what, 
where does that play a role with the way things are going today? And tying that into to we haven't talked about it much, but like you're in immigration law, correct? Is that I do some yeah. immigration law, yeah. Given current circumstances, I mean, I imagine there's there's a lot more radical things happening in that realm as well today than than there were, you know, ten years ago or I think most Americans and probably most people we went to school with, I think everybody has pretty much have this idea that, you know, there's kind of a, a linear uh, direction of history towards progress. Things are always getting better. We live in the greatest uh, country in the world. Uh, this is the best system of government and everything is getting, everything's being improved or staying the same. And I think when you have a kind of larger uh, horizon of, of history that you're aware of, larger kind of cultural uh, context of values, uh, broader cultural traditions that, you're, that you have access to, you see like everything isn't always progress. There's back, there's forward movement and backward movement. Uh, you know, it's like even just, well, if you can read more than one language, you can realize there's very different ways of looking at uh, the world. Uh, you know, we can sometimes forget that, uh, you know, at one point, basically, Mexico was a more developed economy with a more stable government than the United States. But that was several centuries ago. So stuff happens, and sometimes places get worse, and other places uh, get better. And I think we're so used to, as you know, in American discourse, like the possibility that there could be serious problems that don't get taken care of in a good way is just not even considered. You know, we just assume no matter what. Oh, you know, we could put anybody in there; it will be fine. It's like. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's not always how it works. <laughs> Sometimes mistakes have consequences. Yeah. And, um, and so I think, I think, and even this issue about, uh, kind of religion, it's like, well, the United States is 250 years old-ish. Well, the Catholic Church is around 20 centuries old. I'm aware of all different kind of situations and contexts uh, that, you know, kind of my community has had to live in. And when you have a vision that that's beyond, you know, basic, that stretches past World War Two <laughs> in the United States, yeah. I think you're better prepared to see uh, possible opportunities and conflicts in society. Yeah. And that's a, uh... You bring up religion too in the in the country, and I I, I don't talk about politics on here very often because it's just it's not the place. Um, but you can talk about whatever. It cut me off if I'm bringing up a no, not at all. I'm I, I love hearing uh, different opinions and and everything. And the the aspect of religion, and just because you brought it up, I, I something that I struggle with constantly is the role it plays in our current government. Um, with the consideration that it in theory shouldn't play a role at all right but like uh, you know you elect people whose values are based on their religion and so are you really separating that at all anyway and I think 
That's a good question. And the reality is, to what extent does anybody ever divorce their kind of actions and the kind of policy they'd like to see enacted in whatever area it is from their values? And I think a lot of times you have people, you know, everybody's got values. It's like neither political party or, or you know, even, you know, whether people are religious or not religious, everybody's got values. Yeah. And, you know, most people I don't think have given much thought to where they got their values and what and how those values are formed and where they uh, where they come from and how they might be connected. But I think everybody is always uh, trying to impose their values, not, unless people choose not to. People accidentally and just kind of the implicit thing is because they they think they know the right way to do whatever it is. And, you know, whether it's about business or family or whatever, and there's two big topics, but uh, I think you kind of see the dominant popular culture of the United States does come out of a certain kind of religious tradition. People don't believe, though, the content of it, their ideas about individualism and finding their whatever truth within their own kind of, and not deferring to any kind of authority, whether it's authorities uh, in the state, authorities within some kind of uh, universal global religious organization, or refusing to uh, defer to authorities in the university who teach about science and climate change or medicine or whatever. This is goes to, I think, a kind of a value system that puts the primacy on the individual and, uh, and that comes out of, you know, that comes out of Northern European Protestantism. Yeah. And, and I, and people impose that, in their ideas about how they're going to run public schools and how they're going to do all kinds of things. And every once in a while they go, people go too far and it steps on other people's toes. But, uh, I think that's something that's always going on. And sometimes we, we don't normally, I think when the person themselves is doing it, trying to impose their value system on other people, they don't know it. They don't know what they're doing it because, I am mean, a. There's a lot of good, uh, especially working so much in the uh, kind of with among democratic politics. There's a lot of good secular kind of atheistic people who are not participating in any religious traditions. Yeah, and they try to impose their religious their kind of value systems on people just uh, just as much as some kind of fundamentalists. I just don't even think they are aware of it. Yeah. And it, it's funny you bring up that point because, and I don't want to go down to like a philosophical hole mm-hmm. right now because I guess it's very easy to do, but uh, you know, I was, I was just reading about now I can't think of what it's called. It's a, it's a, it's a math equation. Um, <laughs> that's, Oh, it's something with a B Benedict. No, doesn't matter. I'm going to, I'll like, I'll like edit it in when I remember it. Um, but it's insert it, drop it. Yeah. Um, but it's this calculation and the IRS apparently uses it to detect tax fraud, but it's, it's the way the amount of numbers appear in anything. 
anything you can count or assign numbers to, um, it like one, the number one will show up 30% more than any other number. The number two will show up 20% more like, and this peer, this pattern will follow any, anything, literally anything. They tested it with, with everything. And it, it's insane, but it brought up the question of free will. And, <laughs> and I, I think that's one thing people dismiss is what you're talking about is when it comes to the things that you're fighting for i don't know how much free will is there if it's something that's built into you intrinsically your entire life and then you're not really ever questioning it and unless you like do a deep dive into yourself um and i think that's one reason i i find myself so resistant to religion just because like i'm i'm in a consistent deep dive in myself so uh i i'm always asking why and uh, even about stuff that that I might believe in or think is right, and like I'm I'm very proud to say that my beliefs have changed over time because I think that's a tr like a true sign of growth, you know. So, no, uh, and who and like even like uh, I'm startled by people who are kind of proud of the idea that they're kind of like their personal development was like retarded when they were like. 12 like if you you know and i don't mean it in the derogatory yeah, yeah. That's i mean it literally like the growth was stopped like yeah that's not that's not a good thing you know people need to grow they need to learn and if you're learning and not changing well you're not learning you know your uh your understanding of things needs to change um and kind of you see different things going on in your own life and in the world but some people don't want to do that. Yeah, and that's, I mean, again, politics, but that's, you're a good person to discuss that with. Um, I, that's, that's why I'm a big fan of term limits. And like, regardless of party, it, it frustrates me, um, you know, regardless of where you stand on it, when they were doing the uh, impeachment hearings and when they were doing the Comey hearings, and some of the senators were like, look, I was here for Clinton's impeachment and I was here for blah, blah. And I'm like doing math in my head. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> and even, uh, you know, Biden now they're bringing up, oh, you've been in politics for 47 years. I'm like, well, I know myself like values grow and change and, and it's just difficult to see proper representation for from the same people for 50 60 years and yes. in a role and it, it's that's crazy to me especially when you point out the people that are like yeah i got my values by the time i was like 12 years old and that's i'm sticking to my guns about it and you're like well hold on this is a, this is an involving world like that that's not that's not right no so no and i about that kind of issue of term limits it's like i do like when you look at you know, obviously national politics and these people are in their 80s and have been yeah. uh, in government for half a century. Uh, you wonder if this isn't partly a problem that we have. Uh, but then I also see like the opposite, I think, is can be also problematic where we can see like at a state government where it's like, where the term limit, you know, most terms are two years and people and they what they can be in basically in office three terms, that's six years. So the the actual people in the legislature is constantly turning over, turning over, turning over. The only people who are who are 
stay there forever are the lobbyists and the and and this kind of behind the scenes apparatus of the two parties and lobbying and that isn't good for the people either oh, yeah, no. you know because it's like those people can just manipulate the system and change who the elected officers yeah. are i will go down a rabbit hole on lobbying because that's that's a whole other issue i mean I'll probably end up cutting all this out, but like that's the my yeah. biggest thing with politics in general is um, term limits, and, and I don't I don't mean term when I say term limits, I'm not like you're senator for four years and then you're done, but like twenty maybe twenty twenty five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the I mean campaign finance is is out of control. Lobbyists, I I, I think personally, and no one agrees with me on this, but like. If you have the job of a senator, for instance, and your salary is, what is it? It's 100, 200 something. I don't remember. But so let's say your salary is $200,000 a year as a senator. I don't know if you, other than maybe like you have a, you know, a store back home. Other than that, I don't know if you should be making any other money, especially from outside parties that are very obviously paying you to sway votes in their direction because you weren't elected for that. You were elected because of what you think not what you're paid to think and it uh i think that i honestly think that is the biggest most broken piece of this country and when people talk about patriotism and the founding father and like what about that aspect because like you know thomas jefferson wasn't getting money under the table from marlboro for 30 years like no because he was so wealthy he was basically like part of the billionaire class of his day that he didn't need uh, to to be getting money from anybody else it's a bad example Um, (laughs) (laughs) no but i think you know when i'm looking at some of the stuff i think we have like subtle little changes could take place that would make sure that we have a much more responsive system and I'm not, this is just, yeah. you know, BS talk because it's like we're not doing anything about this. Yeah. But it's like, you know, as you bring up, well, at the time of the founders, every representative only represented like 35,000 people. That's the size of a relatively small town community yeah. here. You can actually meet and keep track and, and, and be aware of what's going on with a district like that. You know, like this person running for set the u.s senate to represent michigan with like 11 million people this is not somebody who you don't see you know it's like impossible to for the community to be involved in the same kind of way and it's impossible for that candidate to even interact with and and be involved in any kind of local community because it's like it's impossible for one person to represent the interest of 10 million people. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, that's like last night I heard someone say that, that, oh, neither one of these candidates represents me. It's like, of course they don't. There's 300 million people. You're not going to get two people that happen to represent, like, the entire country. That's insane. You know, no. And I think it's also kind of like, I think we as individual members of the community probably even because of like Facebook and social media and all these different things, our expectation has changed. We somehow think like the people we interact with and the people who are in government should somehow reflect ourselves in a, in a, you know, more serious way than I think people in the past ever thought. Like, 
you're not going to, you're not, I'm, you and I are not most likely ever going to be sitting around at the White House with the president, nor sent hey, the Hey, speak for yourself. So maybe you will be. I have big but, goals. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's yeah. the idea that people in very different social classes of very different levels of power would somehow reflect my personal values is a little bit, yeah, I think, unrealistic. But, and if you find somebody who does, they may not be qualified to do their job. Well, yeah. And if you, I mean, you look at it on the smaller elections, like the house reps for Michigan. Um, no, and I think too, it's like, I'm less concerned. I mean, I'm very concerned about national things, but I feel like in a certain sense, those are, that's like plate tectonics. That's, this is stuff that's been moving in different directions a long time. Uh, but like local stuff, yeah, that we can make a difference about. Uh, you can meet the people, talk with the people, influence what happens, and you know you're not powerless as to what's going on in your own town. Yeah, like what happens in Washington D.C. and all influenced by all these things. That's kind of beyond my capacities, yeah. but. We should take an interest to what goes on in Clarkston or Orion or Oxford or yeah. Waterford. Or in your backyard. There's a lot more control over it. And I don't think people realize that or they don't care. <laughs> they're like, yeah. Yeah, they're more I think concerned. part of it is they don't know. They just don't realize how things work. Because yeah. um, you talk to a lot of people, it's like uh, walking down the street to Canvas and then somebody's like, well, oh, well, what about the school district? Blah, 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 blah. It's like well, you're polite and everything, but it's like, that doesn't have anything to do with this. Like, the, you know, if you want to talk about that, these are the people. Yeah. But I think, I think we've been lucky for so long. Everything has ran pretty good that we didn't have to think about it or know how things work. We could just trust. Yeah. Things would go all right. Yeah. Um, you know? Well, jump, jumping back on, on tracks. I, I got us way, way over here somewhere. Um, just uh, touching down like recently, coronavirus. I mean, what's that like for your? Because so you're. I'm gonna jump back. You started your own practice, is that right? Yeah. How long have you been doing that? About uh, nine years. Oh wow! Congrats. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, what has this been like for you in that way? Like as far as coronavirus and, and your business. Oh. Um... I think it hasn't changed the kind of work going on, really. Yeah. Uh, there was a time it slowed everything down, that there wasn't any new work to do at all for uh, a few months. Uh, and then it was, I was just overwhelmed, busy, because after everything started loosening up, everybody wanted to get divorced and had to fight with their uh, baby daddies. And oh, they I'm so intrigued have, by that. Uh, <laughs> Then there was a lot of disputes about sending kids back and forth between, you know, one parent takes the virus seriously and the other parent doesn't. And so all of that stuff. And so I was busy, 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 overwhelmed with work. Um, and so that's just quantity of work. But it has really changed. We don't go, I haven't been to court in person, but a handful of times. Since. I was going to say, didn't, did they shut down the courts at some point? The courts are pretty much, everything is done by Zoom. Okay. And like a lot of things are 
you know, like unless somebody's committing some violent crime that needs to be dealt with right now, yeah. we're not going to court in person to deal with it. And then the other stuff is like every, you know, what we used to go to a building and sit around all day and then wait for the hearing and take us all morning. Well, now we schedule it at a certain time and have it done from your computer. And so that's changing how a lot of us. That's got to be even, nice. <laughs> and we, you know, we're like everything had to be printed out, hard copy papers, pay, taken into court and stamped and all of this. And now, well, scan and upload it. And so it's modernizing a lot of what goes on. That's good. Which is good. I'm curious because uh, you mentioned divorce and that's something I've been, you know, you hear about and I, I'm wondering about it. But like being that you have specific hands on stuff, have you seen an overall increase in that over this time period? Yeah, I definitely saw an increase in that. I don't know, uh, you know, didn't sit down and keep stats about it, but it was like, yeah, those few weeks when everything started to loosen up, it was like every call was about wanting to get divorced. A lot of people, I think, you know, Either things weren't on the edge. I mean, things were on the edge, and it's pushed them over. And then there's a lot of things that I think taking a few months and not being able to go out and see people yeah. forces you to think about what, where your life's at. Having what to spend you're time with your spouse. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, me and my wife were joking about that early on. So we're like, I wonder how many people were regularly cheating on their husband or wife, and they just like they're not allowed to see their mistress right now. <laughs> it's, it's like really putting things in perspective. <laughs> or they're, or they spent quarantine with their mistress yeah. and they're like, you know, maybe oh, I should wait a take second. care of this other thing. <laughs> you know. Oh man. Yeah. I'm sure you have some stories that you're legally not allowed to tell. Um, but <laughs> that's, that's crazy. But other than that, I mean, it sounds like being overwhelmed at some point business should be, going well then <laughs> things are things bouncing back to normal outside of like uh you know zoom and stuff like that things are different yeah. you know the time i was really worried and i'm not really worried i mean the virus is one thing i'm talking about work but it's like i wondered what we we're gonna do when we're uh you're not going to court for months like that makes me wonder what <laughs> what, or what we're gonna be doing yeah. uh, and then you think well sooner or later we're going to be really behind because we're going to have a lot of stuff to deal with. And I think it's, it's interesting just to show like a lot of stuff that may not have been as necessary as we thought. Yeah. And, uh, but, well, yeah, I mean, but, we're all wiping down our groceries with alcohol pads in, in April. You know, so it's definitely has changed. Uh, or even like, I'm saying like, was it really necessary to have, Two attorneys, a, a couple who's getting divorced, a oh, counselor, yeah. a friend of the court. Should we really spend three hours and make them watch a video and do all this stuff and all meet in person? Was any of that really necessary on every single case yeah. when you could say, hey, sign on to this app and watch this video on your phone and yeah, and be done with that part, part of it? It's like some. Sometimes our processes were fit for a different period of time. Like, yeah, maybe they did that when there was like a film strip projected on the wall or something. But do we still need to do it that way? Well, I think I, I'd be remiss if I didn't give, give you an opportunity to say what you want about the election since it's going to be tomorrow as of the air of this episode. 
Oh, geez. Other than go out and vote. <laughs> like... No, people should vote. And uh, I think, if anything, that uh, all of this shows how important voting actually is. Because nobody would spend that much money on advertising and do and put all this stuff out into the community on whether it's on, on your through your phones or TVs or whatever. It's like hundreds of millions of dollars is spent because votes matter. If they didn't, they would say, hey, screw you and, <laughs> and work on yeah. what they care about. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it's very frustrating. Um, and somebody I worked with uh, who was not this election, but the previous time, uh, they were, oh, we, no, I don't vote. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I just do this. It doesn't, uh, doesn't matter. You know, why one vote won't make a difference. And it's like, what are you talking about? The work we do is directly affected by who is, sits there and has those other jobs. Yeah. Like, they only ask you once in a while, who do you want to be making these decisions? And for some people, it's hard to see how it affects yeah. them. Uh, but, you know, I can say I've done this work for about 10 years. Well, until a few years ago, I never saw Border Patrol uh, in Lake Orion or in Clarkston. I've seen them. I never had people, you know, taken from the courthouses uh, until now. Uh, you know, it's like. That's crazy. That makes a difference. It's not imaginary. Like for some people, like the effects of, I think, elections are really imaginary. They still go to their go, you know, they go to their job, they come home, they cash their checks and pay their bills and do what they want to do. And they don't see how uh, how the elections make a difference. Yeah. But for other people, uh, it's obvious. And uh, but but it affects everybody. And that's why these, uh, you know, the whether it's the Koch brothers or the DeVosses or, or the UAW, uh, these are groups that spend money because it makes a difference on how people vote. Right? Yeah. You consider that all of those groups are spending money just on the undecided voters, essentially. <laughs> so that, that, that'll break it down even more. And just yeah. to go full circle too, uh, kind of tying your career and something we were talking about earlier at length is those smaller pieces of the ballot like your local uh i imagine in your profession you're you're checking off boxes of people you are face to face with in a courtroom at times so that's I and mean, you want to talk about affecting you in, in real life that's that's got to be the most <laughs> hold up well, the mirror. when i was um working at the prosecutor's office in detroit i remember having i was a prosecutor on a case and this i seems like it might have been a home invasion. Uh, but the people who had property stolen, all this money lost, they came to court and they were upset when the you know, guy was convicted and whatever this, I don't remember the details of, uh, but he was found guilty and whatever would happen, happened. And they, but they were very upset with the outcome. Why did the judge do this? Why did the judge do that? What, how is he even allowed to do this? I can't imagine. And it's like, no, listen, lightly but it's like well what can we do about this i said well did you vote for him what well he's elected like 
these judges are elected by people. Have you ever paid attention to who's running for judge and what they are like? No. Well, that's why he is where he is, yeah. you know, and, uh, and like, and especially around here, it's like, well, what happens at the Rochester district court is very different than what happens at the Pontiac district court. And it matters who those people are. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I just wish people would pay more attention to it. Yeah. That's what I tried to shine a light on that with. Uh, the fact I don't, I feel like a, an alarming amount of people don't understand that sheriffs are elected. <laughs> the sheriff is elected. So on that note, everybody go out and vote tomorrow if you haven't already. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I and mean, if you haven't voted and you still have your absentee ballot, take it in in person yeah. and drop it off at your clerk's office. That's what. Uh, well, at this point, I that's what I did. But that's what. In reality, that's what I will be doing this. Uh, this weekend and next well not this weekend but next week finally got it in the mail i was worried they weren't delivering my mail at some point but such is life on that note i digress uh thank you thanks for taking some time out for me okay sharing some of your story um um cool well i'm that's i'm good are you good i'm good <laughs> all right i'm sure i'll think of important areas of life that weren't covered oh yeah in the next 15 <laughs> minutes i guarantee you will it happens literally every single time <laughs> But if you think of something really great and you want to talk about it, you let me know. Otherwise, I will talk to you soon, Garrett. Okay. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Welcome back, Jenny Helms, licensed, certified marriage family. Th oh, my God. I screwed it up again. Counselor? No. <laughs> clinical. Licensed, clinical, marriage, family, therapist specializing in eating disorders and trauma yep yes you got it, you got it. i'm gonna clip that out and just use it for everything um, <laughs> just do that one yeah well thank you for uh abiding and giving your time again to answer some of the listeners questions um this person asked to remain anonymous but the question is how can i continue to effectively change the cycle of emotional abuse from my mother now that i'm a mother and have two girls like she did Okay, so first things in, first. Yeah, generational yeah. trauma. <laughs> Intergenerational trauma. The fact that she's asking this question already tells me information that she has self-awareness. Yeah. And I know that sounds very simple, but that's a huge part of starting the healing work because before her, you know, people were doing things and they were traumatic essentially and, and wounding people but likely had no idea that they were doing that or didn't yeah. feel like it was wrong or out of the normal. And so the fact that she's even saying this behavior isn't okay, or, you know, I noticed this pattern and that's not okay. Even if they're still engaging in it themselves is still huge, right? Because they're asking, they're asking the right questions. They're, they're trying to develop that self-awareness. And even if they don't know how to fix it quite yet, mm -hmm. that's a big step to acknowledge something's not right about this yeah. and I, I need to look further into it. The other piece too is that I think one of the biggest things parents don't often understand is when people are abusive to their kiddos, when they're struggling with narcissism or something else and they pass on abuse to their kiddos, 
it's often that parent working from their wounded parts that they were not willing to work on and heal for themselves. Yeah. It's not that they're like, like if they were to work through their wounded healing parts themselves, like work on their stuff, then that enables them to actually parent well because they no longer will engage in certain behaviors and make certain things about themselves. Like with narcissism, you know, you see a lot of like personalization and they need their ego from you and they need, they, they are basically trying to get their needs met through their children. Yeah. And when their children don't meet their needs, which they're not supposed to, and if their children try to meet their needs, it's weird because they like still are unhappy with that because they don't realize like you can't get your needs met through your children. Yeah. Even if you're trying to do that. Oh my God. I feel like, and I won't do it for this question, but this is a future podcast topic we could talk about is, is this going to lead into enmeshment? <laughs> Cause yeah. Yeah. I mean, enmeshment itself, like, okay. So like <laughs> my family system, when I was healing through things, things I used to think were like super, like just about us being loving and so close and like, et cetera, et cetera, were actually enmeshment. And I didn't like, and they didn't know that either. Again, I think the heart of it is yeah. good. The intention and the heart behind that is so wonderful, but it definitely stemmed from unresolved wounds and needs that the generations before me had Yeah, and that weren't resolved and weren't healed. And given their context, I understood why, like I have a lot of empathy and I'm really grateful that like my parents have, like my mom specifically has worked on a lot of her stuff, which is really cool. Like she's been a gatekeeper in our family too. Um, and that doesn't mean that we don't still get to like acknowledge like the enmeshment or the other things that like we struggle with or even like, like I'll catch myself with certain beliefs and I have to step back and like really question, is this coming from a healthy place or is it because I'm trying to get my own needs met through this or like validation or this is the way that I know to make sense of the world, but it's not really true. Yeah, It's not really loving. Because again, when we've, when we get our own needs met, like I I would say for parents, like you really need to focus on doing self-work, like building your own self-esteem. Um, it's weird. Cause sometimes I even frame it as like getting selfish, which sounds like the opposite thing that parents want to do. Cause they're like, I can't be selfish. I have to always think about my kids. And it's like, no, the fact that like, you're only focusing on your kids needs yeah. and not addressing your own is going to show up in different ways, whether you want it to or not. Put your oxygen Um, mask on first before assisting others. Exactly. And so it's kind of hard because typically I'm like, it it starts here. It starts within us and us healing whatever it is that we need that makes us like, because sometimes too, we can, we can end up being, (laughs) we can end up acting out in ways we don't want to because we're trying so hard to be a good parent. Yeah. And that typically comes from a wound of not having a good parent. Right. And so even for me, like in my own journey, I don't have kids quite yet. I, I plan to probably in the future yeah. um, to be determined. Uh, but <laughs> in my head, I know I'm not going to be a perfect parent. Like I know I'm still going to pass on some stuff to my kids. Yeah. You're very welcome. Um, <laughs> but what I what I want to be, what what makes me hopeful and like excited about that is I do feel like I will try my best to be a self-aware parent. And a parent that takes care of their own stuff first so that I can give my kids love and growth opportunities and learning. And I'm relieved to know that like, I don't have to be perfect to be a good parent. Yeah. I just have to be good enough and like give them my love and my support. And 
acknowledge when I do struggle and um, let them see me like work through hard stuff and be imperfect without oversharing. Right. Yeah. So it's like a, there are different things that are important to be a healthy, safe, trustworthy parent figure. You know, the other thing is like, you don't want to overshare with your kids either. Like definitely have learning opportunities when you have a wound specifically with them, but you also don't want to share with them like the ways you're struggling with, you know, your partner or at work or other things. Like those are things that are important that you work through with other people. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I didn't know if you had a specific question there, but but like if I were to say in a nutshell, when we take care of our own needs, we don't project them onto our kiddos and our acting out behaviors. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I struggled or struggle. We'll say struggled. (laughs) We'll pass Mm -hmm. tense it. Um, I don't have kids either, but like in thinking about being a father as someone who grew up with a somewhat estranged alcoholic father that lived on the other side of the country, like I didn't have that person. So I didn't want to be a father either, especially to a boy, because uh, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what the hell that would look like. Um, but as I've grown more secure with who I am and realized like that the idea of what a what quote unquote what a man looks like, um, that I think like oh I actually think I'm a really good role model for that, and I could probably reduce the amount of like shame and repression that you might get from more toxic masculine figures uh so i i i agree obviously and i i struggle with a couple other things you said because i'm not there yet but thankfully like you said i don't have kids either (laughs) so uh, yeah well and we never we never arrive like we're all working on our stuff but like to have a parent like gosh like i think what kids want is a parent that is working on their stuff yeah yeah i think uh, you have to be perfect yeah, I love that analogy of the the oxygen mask on the airplane because it's it's so true. <laughs> like, if you're not, you're just going to be a better parent if you're a better person, and you're going to be a better person if you're going through like and actually addressing the stuff that you need to address. So, yeah, and yeah. acknowledge your strengths and weaknesses, like in relationships, and like, but I say both because I think what happens is when we have weaknesses and we've had a traumatic history, we forget that we also have strengths. So like, like I came from a very, like, despite, you know, the things that we struggled with as a family system, my family system was incredibly affectionate, incredibly supportive. Like I look at other people's, I'm like, y'all didn't like hug each other and and y'all didn't have like, y'all didn't support each other in these ways, you know? So it's really fascinating to like, like, it's also important to remember the areas you're probably like really strong and like loving and supportive to your kids too yeah um and give yourself credit for that give yourself credit i think that might be the overarching answer too because like yeah uh, anonymous person that like the self-awareness and and asking this and and realizing you want to change those behaviors is probably the uh, biggest step you can take in the right direction i would imagine Mm -hmm. based on what jenny's saying here um well awesome well, Jenny, thank you so much again for joining us, and uh, I hope some—I hope some people got something out of that because that's definitely something I struggled with. Just thinking about having kids, and uh, it's a long journey <laughs> of, of of working on yourself. But that's a great first yeah. step. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and to challenge that belief that if you had 
toxic or traumatic parenting that you would be a bad parent. Like that, those two things don't correlate. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, thank you, Jenny. (laughs) You're welcome. All right. You just listened to my interview with Garrett as well as our resident therapist and friend, Jenny Helms, answering some listener questions. You guys get out there and vote. If you have not already, um, be safe at the polls tomorrow and make your voice heard. And remember that the effect on your local elections is the most effective thing on you. Is that a sentence? Yeah, we're going to stick with that. (laughs) So keep that in mind as you vote and and do some research. You know, we spend so much time on social media. Uh, The least you can do is Google a candidate or a prop or a judge or a prosecutor or whatever it looks like for you in your local elections. Thank you so much for listening and please send all questions and feedback to Justin's friend request at gmail.com or um, please rate, rate, rate and review on Apple podcasts. I'd love to see some new reviews on there. Uh, I appreciate you guys for all the ones that you have put on there, but that just takes a second. You probably already have the app open if you're listening to this right now. So I really appreciate it. And it's great to be back to kind of full listenership. I know during the initial lockdown there, everybody cut down on their podcast because no one was driving around anymore. So it's good to see those numbers back up. And I appreciate each and every one of you for listening and taking the time. And if